I think it, in a lot of ways, maybe connects us through time with people who were struggling with issues that were functionally different, but still at the core the same. I think we all can relate to struggling against forces that are so much bigger than ourselves and and scary, horrible, awful atrocities happening in the world every day. It all feels very relatable through time and and not so far away um, than what we might think on the surface. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's start this episode, as we always do, with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of December. So that's a very big thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pimhatai, Adiyanka, and CV Mess. Thank you all so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series, Co-op Mode. Um, in our last episode, Spencer, we were trying to think how many episodes people might get if they subscribe <laughs> to Co-op Mode now. And we said that we had been doing the Patreon for a year. Well, Spencer, would it surprise you to learn <laughs> that we've actually been doing the Patreon for a t- Two years, over two years, in what fact. What is time? <laughs> uh, I was editing that episode and I went back and looked and I was like, Does it? it's really, it's just been over a year, oh right? And I looked and it was like, first post, November 2020. And I was like, ah! How? How? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been doing it for a while. A um, minute. Yeah. So so there's lots. What that means, that's good news for you. If you've got $2 in your pocket and you want to come subscribe <laughs> even for just a month, you're going to get so many bonus episodes. A treasure episodes, trove. A yes. literal treasure trove of episodes to listen to. Um, but if uh, if you've already been subscribing, you just want to know, hey, I don't care about all that old shit. What's new? <laughs> uh, in January, for our co-op mode, we did another Fantasy Critic League draft, which was a lot of fun. And also for folks who have been listening to the Fantasy Critic League drafts and have said, well, maybe you said this to yourself, you didn't say it to us, but you're like, Jamie and Spencer, you two do this draft and then you never follow up on it. Yeah. And then the end of the year comes and you never even looked at it again. Why would you do this to yourself? Well, folks, we changed up the rules this year. So we did what's called a one-shot draft, which means that we drafted 10 games each and we're done. And it really is meant to be a time capsule now. And it'll sit there until January 2024. And then we'll reopen it. And we'll Very be surprised yeah. by, by whether or not we were soothsayers in our predictions of what uh, ratings would, would, how games would review this year. So anyway. If you're hedging your bets, bet on Jamie. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Just because you've already had two games released and one of them flopped doesn't God. mean anything. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Poor Spoken. Poor Forspoken. Um, anyway, that's our Patreon. You should come check it out uh, if you're interested. We'd love to have you over there. Um, but if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or even writing into the show. 
by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. That stuff is also great ways to support us. And we'd love to hear from you. And also just clicking download an episode yeah. uh, is appreciated. Good old so. word of mouth. The original viral <laughs> going viral. <laughs> yeah. I mean, social media is a fucking hell pit. So yeah. just uh, just use your your words to tell people. Yeah, seriously. And your voice. That'll be enough. Uh, <laughs> all right, folks. It's time to get cozy. Pull up your armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. <sighs> Let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you today? I am well. You know what? I have a new obsession oh. and I'm glad we're talking about a sort of murder mystery today. Spoilers. Mm. Okay. But I have every night for the past two weeks, I have been watching an episode starting at season one of Murder, She Wrote, starring oh the amazing Angela Lansbury. She just um, recently passed away, right? Very yes, sad. she just passed. And I'm sad I didn't know her work a bit better. Because, um, like, even the story of how this show came to be. So, like, Murder, She Wrote is an 80s, um, like, whodunit detective um, story where Angela Lansbury stars as Jessica Fletcher, a, myrtle, a murder mystery novel writer who just somehow gets pulled into a new murder <laughs> each week. And becomes like a consultant for the police. Um, but like Angela herself, she was 58 when she got cast in this role. And her background was like all in theater. Um, mm -hmm. So this was like her like her breakout TV role um, just as an older woman. And like, it's just like kind of amazing to see. Like, I don't know that I feel like a lot of TV today is so focused on, um, you know, like being super Hollywood. Like, I don't mm. know. I just, just the way the styling, her character, she's so charming and sweet and funny. Um, it's kind of comical to see like all of these older men falling over themselves to like ask her out and her just kind of cheekily turning them down. <laughs> like, I just love seeing her like on screen kicking ass and mm -hmm. taking names. Um, but then going back to her little town of Cabot Cove, Maine, uh, where she lives. And so the New England vibes are there. The mystery is there. The camp is there. <laughs> um, and I'm having a blast. It's such a nice time capsule. Um, and it's like, I feel like it's not, um, like I'm not watching it and feeling like, oh God, this is so dated. Like these jokes are not cool. Like it's surprisingly progressive. Like it almost reminds me of kind of like what Gene Roddenberry was doing with Star Trek, uh, like Next Generation. Um, like it feels, it's still it age is it ages pretty well. <laughs> so damn, highly recommend. I'm gonna have to go back and and watch some. I yeah. could tell you almost nothing about the show, but I definitely remember watching it uh, pretty frequently with my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, Growing up in like the because we live with my grandparents when I was first born until I was like five years old. And so like it was pretty young, but this is like, yeah, early 90s. I, yeah. I do have memories <laughs> and then probably reruns and stuff. when I was a little bit older. I don't know how long the show ran. Twelve but, seasons. Oh, fuck. Maybe they weren't re reruns. Then. Maybe we were, we were watching it. Yeah. Shows used to go for for forever. Ever. Yeah. So I can't wait. I'm, it feels so good to be able to buckle in for 12 seasons. Um, and I'm doing it like one episode a night. It's become nice. like our 
nightly ritual. Um, oh my god, it's very soothing. Yeah, the stakes are like never a... too high. <laughs> <laughs> is this like a right before bed thing? Or yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. It's like a light. Yeah, I it's love like that. It's like a bedtime tea glass yeah. of hot tea, a nightcap. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's oh my god. amazing. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. How are you? Uh, I- I'm okay. Uh, Keeping it in the in the trend of TV, uh, I well. So since we came back from the holiday break, I've been my sleep schedule has been a little fucked up. When mm. I'm when I'm on break, when I don't have work, I am more of a night owl. Like that's like my more natural rhythm yeah. is to be up until like two three a.m. and sleep until like ten or so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that doesn't work when <laughs> you have to work like a nine Working Monday through Friday, nine to five, five job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I've been struggling to kind of get back in the groove. Um, and what's been happening is I'll be like really sleepy and tired from like 8 p.m. until 10, 30, 11 p.m. But I'll push myself through that because I don't mm. want to go to bed that early. Like this is my downtime. This is my chance to play video games and yeah. stuff. So I'll force myself to stay awake. And then about the time that I would want to go to bed, like 11, 1130, suddenly I'm like, oh, second wind. And then I'm not not getting sleepy again until two, three o'clock in the morning and then getting up at eight. (laughs) So it hasn't been good, but it did mean that I uh, just recently binged the entire two seasons of Hacks, which is a really fun show uh, starring Gene Smart as like a, a... older woman like insult comic who is on the verge of losing her she's been like a resident at a vegas casino hotel for decades and she's on the verge of losing her residency and so she decides to hire uh down on her luck like 25 year old writer who uh has been struggling to hold down a job in hollywood because she's Mm. kind of like really entitled and self-focused and uh, and selfish and has kind of like doesn't have a very good filter. So she said some stuff that's gotten her in trouble with her peers. Um, and so the two of them get paired up to work together. And it's a really, really funny show, actually. Uh, and su- it surprised me. I had kind of like heard that it was funny and that I should check it out, but I was laughing a lot. Okay. And definitely recommend folks check it out. Um, it's not a perfect show, but it's like, you know, it's half hour episodes, two seasons. It got renewed for a third, so that should be coming soon. Oh, nice. And I really had a good time with it. The relationship that builds between um, the two main characters is definitely like the heart of it. Um, but there's also kind of a whole family cast of characters that surrounds Jean Smart. Like, uh, it's all people who work for her. Is But the show kind of, like, explores that, too. Like, how she has this... She kind of pulls people into her orbit who are all, like, really career-focused and mm. obsessed. And then it starts to kind of unpack, like, how that's degrading their own personal lives. But they still have, like, this tight family unit mm. all together. But kind of, like, looking at, at how that can be good and bad <laughs> for mm. humans to exist that way. So, yeah, I don't know. Really interesting show. It was a, it was a surprise, a pleasant surprise. Speaking um, of a dark mentorship, we should talk about The Last of Us because w- the first couple episodes have come out. Are you watching that? Uh, fuck yes, I'm watching <laughs> The Last of Us. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything, yeah. but people should be watching The Last of Us on HBO. I'm... It, it, 
Okay, the way they ended the second episode was mm-hmm. we're, so we're recording this before mm-hmm. episode three has <laughs> yeah, come out. Yeah, episode three comes out tomorrow, actually, for when we're recording this. So no commentary on episode three yet, but episodes one and two, almost entire episode one, Chef's Kiss. Episode yes. two, really, really good, <laughs> weird decision at the very end of the yes. episode yes. that made me feel pretty uncomfortable. Yes, um, it's not going to ruin the show for me, but I really take some strong issues with a decision that they made. Yeah, um, I think you'll know what we mean when yeah, you get I to feel it. Like if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody's like who's seen it is like, what could they possibly yeah. be referring to? <laughs> uh, yeah, but overall, really, really fucking impressed. Like mm-hmm. what, production quality is so good. I really like the casting. I like the, um, I like the way the show is expanding the lore and the world building um, in ways that the game wasn't able to due to its kind of like uh, it like individual focus on, on Joel as the main character. Like the show is able to expand and we're able to see things that you couldn't see in the game because it had to be from Joel's perspective. And that's been super cool. And yeah, I'm excited to see where it keeps going. They just announced the renewal for season two, which I feel like was probably a give. Like I felt like that was a given before the episodes even started coming out. I mean, they spent what millions and millions of dollars making the first season. You don't invest like that. If you're not thinking this is going to be a thing and it's definitely a thing. And and I don't think this is just a thing that people who play video games can enjoy. Like Mm -hmm. this is good quality HBO quote unquote prestige television. Totally. You're enjoying it too though. Yeah, I mean, just on that last note, um, like coinciding with the uh, approval of season two and just the mass appeal of the show. um, Also, I've been seeing stats around how game sales for part one and two are up like 300 percent. There's just like a lot of attention coming back to the franchise. um, And just on on the yeah, like on the way that the this visual storytelling allows for us to step outside of Joel's shoes. I feel like um, you're seeing a lot more of the nuance between Joel and Ellie's relationship immediately. Mm-hmm. That sort of took a long time for the game to build up because you are in Joel's perspective, you identify with him. He's the hero. Mm-hmm. You feel this caretaker relationship with Ellie, but in the show, I feel like right away, um, like, I mean, the juxtaposition, the fact that they're they're able to sort of create parallels between Joel's relationship with his daughter, Sarah, and his relationship, his budding relationship with Ellie, um, the differences between the two girls and just the, the, the budding toxicity between Mm. Joel and Ellie and, and the violence that they share and, and the kind of, um, bloodthirstiness that they <laughs> elicit in each other um yeah. i think just already being able to see that mm-hmm. is really cool um and is gonna change the way that people see both of those characters um in really cool ways i don't know i just love yeah all of the I, I hope subtext so going on <laughs> i was listening to some folks talk about it who on it was on waypoint which is a gaming podcast mm-hmm. so they they're familiar with the games and they're now watching the show and they were kind of feeling the opposite for me and and mm. I think you based on our conversations in that regard where I feel like the um sort of yeah the toxicity of that relationship and kind of uh Joel really isn't a quote unquote good person like it, it 
to moralize it a little bit, like he does a lot of bad shit in mm-hmm. the games, but I think the games are so positioned from his perspective and you are Joel that I think it kind of muddies how you're supposed to feel about it a little. At least yeah. it did for me. Um, yeah. Oh, same. Whereas in the show, I feel like it's been much easier to be like, oh, this, yeah, this guy's kind of a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the anyway, on Waypoint, they were saying that they felt like Pedro Pascal, like just naturally his like natural charisma and stuff. Know, too much of it is like him. right. Too much of it's like coming through to the character, and so that like it makes Joel feel less shitty. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see how that casting plays out because I I do think they're trying to walk a line. Like I think he is meant to kind of walk that line of being. Uh, you hate him and you like him at the same time, and I do think yeah. that's part of the point. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to continue to watch the show. See Pedro where the Pascal development goes. From here. Too likable. Yeah, yeah, and it, we, <laughs> yeah. Their argument basically is that's going to be a problem or a challenge for the show to to make Joel, that's you know, funny. the miserable piece of shit that he is. But Aww. anyway, <laughs> we'll see. We'll be the judge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go ahead and talk about some video games, though. Enough about TV. What is this? <laughs> TV therapy. (laughs) Ah, Nice. Uh, So as we uh, alluded to a bit in our last episode, we're changing up the format of the podcast just a tiny bit. And we want to have more uh, conversations where Spencer and I are both talking about the same game um, that we've played uh, and then even bringing in guests sometimes to talk about a game with us. So Mm -hmm. no guests today. It is just us. We we know you love us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but today we're going to talk about Pentiment. Uh, this is a game that came out on November 15th of last year uh, for uh, PC and Xbox. It was a Game Pass release. It's developed by Obsidian, who are the folks who made Fallout New Vegas, among other things. Uh, kind of notorious. Uh, uh, oh, and they did um, The Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds, yeah. Not Outer Wilds. I know, which right? Is Every my time. Favorite game. Yeah. The Outer Worlds, which is uh slight which is different. It's more of a traditional RPG. Um but yeah, so they make RPGs. This game is definitely a bit different for them and their typical type of game of game. It's a historical narrative-driven game that focuses on character development has heavily stylized art and choice-driven storytelling. It's set in early 16th century Bavaria, where players will play as Andreas Mailer, a clever illustrator caught up in a series of murders in Tassing and Kearsaw Abbey over the course of 25 years. Players will be responsible for conducting their own investigation to decide the fate of the community, but each decision will have lasting consequences and inexorably draws Andreas closer to the center of an underlying conspiracy. NBD. So that's Pentiment. Um, The game does have uh, RPG elements that, you know, because Obsidian puts that in most of their games. So right near the beginning of the game, you're given the option to make some basic choices about who your Andreas is, what his history is, um, things like deciding where he went to school. You can decide uh, some like what he studied in school and also some basic things about his personality. Like there's like a choice. I, I don't remember what all of the options were, but I know mm-hmm. I chose bookworm. My Andreas right. was a bookworm. So he was really into books. He loved books and he loved reading. Do you remember like what you chose in any of these? Um, I remember one of them was like, he was really interested in languages so he could mm-hmm. speak a few languages. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, I think astro- he was like into astrology was one of them. Like, 
uh, I'm forgetting them. Um, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it kind of gives like Disco Elysium vibes where it like changes his abilities and makes mm-hmm. certain things easier. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think in the, in the general personality thing, like one of the options that you could have picked is that he could be a bit of a, um, like a flirt essentially. Yeah, yeah. And it, and basically he spent his, you I could choose that, that he spent his college years, um, like partying and, and hanging out with, with friends and yeah. flirting with young women. And if you pick that option, like it increases like his charm and his charisma and you're e- more easily able to persuade people to do things for you. Whereas, you know, I went with the bookworm option. So it meant that he was like very well read. And when people are referencing different pieces of literature, Andreas already knows about them. And so he can talk more about that in the conversation or he can quote different books and stuff when he's having conversations with people. Um, And then when you're picking like his areas of study, uh, yeah, there were ones for languages. There's, uh, I know I picked one. I I made him so that he had both studied medicine and the occult, which meant that Mm. I was like well-versed in the physical world, but also knew. And by occult, it's more like, um, sort of the pagan beliefs and right, rituals right. that people had at that time um, that were pretty well uh, kind of buried or, or or kept under the radar because, uh, and we'll talk more about this in a bit, but like religion and religious institutions are a big fixture of the game. The town, the land that the town of Tassing sits on is uh, owned and pays fealty to Kearsaw Abbey. So religion is like a very both like a political entity in Mm -hmm. people's lives like the place that they're paying taxes to and also a thing that they participate in Um, but there are pagan rituals and stuff and so by choosing the occult stuff i andreas had a better understanding of the pagan rituals and why people did them and what they got out of them and and that kind of stuff do you remember more about how you built your andreas yeah, I remember he like spoke Greek, I think. Like he was mm-hmm. really interested in like ancient Greek writings. Um and then he was like well versed in like art history. Um I think I also remembered no, he I remember picking occult. Um and I may I may have done the same thing around medicine because I was like, well, we're in 16th century Bavaria. <laughs> he should know a little something about medicine. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen in this story. Oh, I might not need to like heal a wound or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, so the game starts with some of those basic like build your character elements, but then pretty quickly becomes a very straightforward game in which you Like the gameplay itself is moving through the world, talking to other characters and making dialogue decisions like that is the gist of this game. There is no combat in this game. There are a few like little mini game kind of things that you do, but like 95% of the gameplay is talking to people and making dialogue decisions. And that's like what moves the story forward and plays things out. Um, One of my favorite pieces was. like when you said about the simple mini games, there was this very simple but very enjoyable to me mechanic of um, sharing meals with people. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like you're, the focus shifts onto the food you're eating on like a table or on a picnic blanket. And you might have a couple, um, you know, like period accurate food items in front of you, like some goat's cheese and a handful of almonds and a piece of like peasant bread. and as the conversation goes, you just click on which item you want to eat. 
Mm-hmm. But like the sound design is so immersive in this game that something about it, like you hear the chewing, you hear the sound of picking it up. Like you hear, if you're outside, you hear the sound of the wind and the birds around you. And, and it just, it was so simple. Like I'm just clicking on something and watching it yeah. fade and, and crumble. Mm-hmm. But it was so nice. <laughs> yeah. the No, the meal eating was one of my, it was just such an immersive piece of the game. And I felt like, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but uh, the game it does a like ha- talks a lot about class or like presents a lot mm. about class. There's a very distinct class structure in the town of Tassing between the people. There's the peasantry that's farming the land outside of Tassing. There's the people who live within Tassing, the city center, city like in heavy quotes. I mean, this is a very <laughs> rural area. It's very small town this is not you know big this is a very rural town um but the people who live within the town center are more like business folks and trade folks um and so there's there is a distinct class difference between the peasantry and the 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 trade folks Mm. and then the folks who live in kearsaw abbey or the abbot and when you're having meals with different classes of characters they definitely use that as a way to demonstrate the differences in the class structure, the simplicity of the meal that you might have when you're eating with your peasant friends, the farmers, mm-hmm. uh, versus what you experience when you eat with someone in town versus sitting at the abbot's table and what's on display there to eat. And uh, I think this is a good point to talk a little bit about the art of the game, mm-hmm. which is uh, these, uh, it's all done in the style of 16th century, like illuminated book pages so it's very it's 2d in its presentation and and looks very hand-drawn and and painted but it's uh yeah i don't know how else to describe it it is the illuminated style the way they would draw in the margins of the pages and even the artworks themselves you're gonna say something no yeah just that um like the very game is sort of framed as if you're reading it all in, in a giant illuminated manuscript like jamie was saying and so it's like if you've ever seen a medieval text it's like all of this very ornate handwritten lines um and then sort of punctuated by little illustrations here and there um and just the way that scenes would change um sort of zooming out of the book and then zooming into another area where as to sort of indicate the passage of a scene or like it all feels very grounded as if it's being written as it's, as it's going. And it's like very cool. Um, I also was watching a behind the scenes video with the obsidian development team and they mentioned how, um, so it's in the style of like these woodcut illustrations. So things look kind of, they have that um, outlined kind of hand carved feel um, that's 2d Um, But the characters themselves were also illustrated in a style to kind of indicate where in time they're from. Hmm. Um, So like, because this is 16th century Bavaria, it's like right on the cusp of the printing press being invented, which obviously meant that people, a lot more people were getting educated. Information could be shared much faster. Mm -hmm. You didn't have monks hold up, holding up, or I guess, Abbot, Abbey. (laughs) People, monks, um, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> like they would be handwriting all of and hand copying books, and the church was really in charge of distributing information and who who got it. But the invention of the printing press would soon mean that people could form their own ideas and share their own ideas amongst themselves. So um, the characters, like early in the game, the developers were explaining, um, like a lot of the older characters you meet have this kind of painted 
uh, like painterly style that almost kind of faded because they were of the time of hand transcribed illuminated manuscripts Mm. versus as time goes on and you meet younger characters um, and babies, they're in more of a like black outlined um, wood cut like printerly style because they are of the time of the next phase where it's Mm. all about the printing press um, and they have more of a layered look. Um, and I just thought like all these little details was like, were like super cool. <laughs> yeah. The the amount of thoughtfulness and detail that went into the game is, is really fucking impressive. And to what you're saying about the way the character, like the actual art style of the characters that carry that level of detail in the presentation carries through to the way the dialogue of the characters is presented mm. as well. So the, the game is not voice acted at all. All of the dialogue is presented on screen in text and it's all done in uh, text bubbles that come out of characters' mouths. And basically the bubble will appear and then as though it's being written in the moment, the words that they are saying will be scrawled out in the speech bubble. And it goes relatively fast, but there is an element of you're kind of like waiting for the text to appear. And I I think that's... um, I think that's intentional too. Like this this game is very much about watching, like looking at it and reading it. Mm like a book, <laughs> which I, I think is cool. Um, but as the as the text appears on the screen, for one thing, it, it appears in different fonts, depending on the the class of the person that you're speaking to or the way that you perceive them. Mm. Um, it also, because it's being written out in real time, it'll sometimes there'll be like basically an error, like a typo, essentially, <laughs> like they'll miss the, a word will be misspelled or it won't be uh, the right conjunction of a verb or something and then the full sentence will finish and then it'll go back almost like an eraser and scratch out the part that was wrong and then rewrite it the correct way um which just has a really cool effect and you can always hear the sounds of it being written too so if it's um you know like the the brothers and the abbey will all speak in this really like gothic style Mm -hmm. font so with them you can hear the the quill and the pen uh, you know the quill scratching against Mm -hmm. the paper as they're writing whereas the um the local printer press uh guy who works in town his words always come out uh as though they're being print printer press like they'll come they'll appear upside down at first yeah. with like a kind of like kachunk sound and then they'll <laughs> flip um so that you can read them so it's it's again it just kind of speaks to that level of detail and the way they're using that to even though we don't hear the voices of the characters we're learning things about the characters through the way that their their dialogue is presented and i thought that was super unique i think a lot of times in text based games like the only thing that characterizes a character in the way that their their dialogue appears on screen is in like the voice that it's written in yeah whereas here you both get the difference of the voice that it's written in but you also get all of these other visual and audio indicators of what type of person this is, or, or at least how Andreas perceives them. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a thing that happens a few po- at a few points in the game where while Andreas is talking to someone, something they say will shift the way he perceives them and it will actually change the, the font, the appearance of the font of their, their dialogue. Um, so one example of this is there is a, like a farmer peasant guy that you're talking to. He's a sheep herder. And initially a lot of the peasants, their, uh, their dialogue appears in a very like simple um, handwritten font. 
And as mm-hmm. you're talking to him, you learn that the guy is super well read and it actually changes to a more elegant font. His, <laughs> his dialogue changes to a more elegant font because now Andreas perceives him as like more intellectual. Mm-hmm. And so it, it changes the font style. I thought that was an interesting choice, uh, how the dialogue is as much how the person is speaking as it is the way that your character perceives them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I There was this piece um, by Nicole Carpenter for Polygon where she goes all into the the fonts of the game because they are very much like their own uh, like unique aspect of Pentiment um, and something that the developers <laughs> spent a, a painstaking amount of effort into bringing to life. Um, there, uh, this, that it's that largely can go unnoticed because it's something that's um, just happening constantly on screen. But like every glyph is has its own individual animation. Like every time uh, a character is talking, it's literally one by one, like handwritten across the the, the text bubble. And there were actually six unique fonts that were designed for this game um, by a font foundry, I guess you could call it, um, called Lettermatic. Um, they are a font font makers that um, do everything from like branding, like, like you've probably seen their work if you've been out in the world and seen a printed word. Um, but they actually pulled pieces of 16th century European Gothic scripts um, from actual books and uh, images from that time period, um, many of which have been digitized um, and preserved, like places where you can access them um, online. And they created these six fonts for the game, um, and they drew many of them um, by hand using tools from the time period. Um, to kind of create this very accurate representation um, of this writing, um, and they and from Nicole's piece, um, Lettermatic estimates that there are around twenty seven hundred individual glyphs um, within those six fonts that they created by hand um, for this game to fully immerse the player in that period, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. That's and again, yeah, it just continues to speak to the amount of thoughtful detail that went into the design of this game it's kind of mind-blowing and at first i i really felt overwhelmed kind of because like you really feel like you've stumbled into medieval history Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily um i mean there's this great function where there's sort of like this um like a journal of of terms so you can go Mm -hmm. reference like like even the things like the time of day like sextit and I forget the other ones. There's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't ask me to remember uh, this. I don't know like if I time for learned prayer anything. And yeah. Time for dinner and more time for prayer. And, um, but anyway, like, um, there's, you kind of build this lexicon of knowledge so that, um, you don't have to memorize all these people and characters and terms. Um, but you, but I really felt like I was getting a crash course, uh, in this history because they really, spared no detail they they didn't take any shortcuts um and on the surface the game is simple it's like a 2d scrolling narrative adventure but all of these little realistic preservations of that history Mm -hmm. kind of elevate the whole thing and into i mean i i would want to see this in like a museum or something like it's really (laughs) such a a dedicated adaptation and bringing that mm-hmm. stuff into the contemporary. Um, 
sorry, one thing I wanted to mention before we moved on um, from like the art style conversation was the music in the game, even the mm. even the freaking music. Um, <laughs> so the developers uh, emphasized how like they really wanted, you know, as Jamie was talking about, like the sounds of the text, the quill, the printing press, um, like those were the characters' voices. And so those really take center stage in a lot of the scenes that are narrative. And they saved music for really big or powerful or emotional moments. So you're not always hearing music throughout the game. It's usually like the immersive sounds of being outside or in these buildings and kind of sinking into that. But they actually did work with a group um, called Alchemy who created all of the music for the game, again, using traditional instruments from the time period. Um, And what this group does is they actually will change arrangements or change the key of the music in Hmm. order to give it a more contemporary feel or bring it into the present. Um, And so, I mean, the music in the game is is awesome, um, but again, really saved for those big emotional impact moments. And I think that that works really well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. so yeah, do we want to change gears a little bit now and talk about the story? Yeah, let's talk about the story. What the F is this game about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think kind of like double-clicking on what you were saying about the game feeling a little overwhelming at first. Like, I, yeah, for a good portion of the first act of the game, I was kind of like, I might be too stupid for this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if I know enough about this history to be able yeah. to follow this game. And I think it's a, a a credit to the game, first of all, that they're able to ground it so thoroughly in that history to make it feel like the characters are talking about people and places and stuff that's like quite foreign to me as someone mm-hmm. who has not in-depth studied that time period at all. And I think that really speaks to how much they were able to ground it in that setting. Like it feels very authentic to what the people of that time and period would have been talking about with each other. Mm. But what you what I had to kind of let go of is the idea that I was going to deeply understand or know all of the things that they were referencing. You know, yeah. if they're referencing an author of the day, uh, you know, you were kind of alluding to this, but the game does have a great mechanic where it's like, if something that's potentially foreign to a modern audience, like if they use a, a word that we might not be familiar with, or they refer to a person or a work that we might not be familiar with, it'll kind of be like underlined or, or highlighted in some way in the dialogue. And you can press a button and a, essentially the scene will pause. The camera perspective will pull back and you'll be looking at the scene as though it's a drawing on the page of a book. And there'll be a, a line from the word that you're, that was highlighted that goes over Mm -hmm. to the side. And then a definition is kind of written in the margins of the book page along with, you know, the cute characters and stuff that people used to write or used to draw on the illuminated (laughs) manuscripts, like rabbits and foxes and things of that nature. Um, And it does the same thing with even with characters that exist in the world. So if someone's referencing a character, especially in the early game that maybe you've only met once or twice and you haven't fully like, committed Mm -hmm. to memory who that person is uh that person will also appear in the margins so if they're just saying a name it's like look that's what this person looks like so you can be like oh yes i did meet this person i remember them um so that's that's super helpful in helping ground you in what's going on but it definitely the 
the game definitely overwhelmed me at first with all yeah. the references to figures that were contemporary for the mm-hmm. characters in the game, but who I had never heard of writings. I had never heard of theories. I had never heard of, and I felt a little unmoored by that. Yeah. Um. So you kind of, you definitely have to kind of let go of feeling like you're going to fully know everything they're talking about, unless you're a big history buff, then maybe you would, but also you can totally get through the game without knowing that stuff. Totally. Um, yeah. It's more like, world and character building than it is essential to the main themes and story of the game. The dressing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the dressing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so on its face, the game's a murder mystery. Uh, And you know that kind of from the, you know, even just from the the write-up that we read at the beginning from the Steam page, like the game wears that on its face, that there's going to be a murder that happens and that your character's going to be involved in solving that. Um, So you know that from the get-go. And the director of the game, Josh Sawyer, uh, he's described it as a medieval night in the woods meets the name of the rose. Um, But Night in the Woods, if you're not familiar with it, is a really quirky adventure game that came out several years ago where you play as uh, like all the characters are visualized as like these woodland animals and has a lot of similarities to Pentiment, actually, in the way the game plays out. And there's kind of a central mystery that you're trying to resolve while also living like your mundane, normal life. Woodland animals who are punks. (laughs) Yeah, woodland woodland animals who are punks. And then The Name of the Rose is a 1980 debut novel by Italian author Umberto Eco. Um, one of the greatest selling books of all time. It's a historical murder mystery set in an Italian monastery in the year 1327. Um, mm. So those two things combined and you have Pentiment. Yeah. <laughs> um, I see what's, it. <laughs> what's interesting about the central murder mystery that, that occurs is the fact that it's, you're not uh, Benoit Blanc solving the ultimate, you, you know, you're not piecing together some complicated murder and finding the exact person who did it. In fact, the game very intentionally obscures uh, and removes any idea of certainty around who committed the murders that occur in the game. Mm. And uh, in an interview with Josh Sawyer, uh, and the interview comes from Bryant Francis on GameDeveloper.com in an article called Making Pentiment's Most Macabre Murder Mysteries. Uh, Josh, the director, talks a bit about kind of why they wanted, why and how they wanted to obfuscate that. And that they specifically did it by removing the idea of alibis. Like no, none of the suspects in the game ever have an alibi for the murder because they didn't want it to be cut and dry about who did it. Um, Josh was talking about kind of why they did, they removed this idea of an alibi. And he says, all it does is exclude suspects. And we're not trying to find a singular suspect. We're trying to rule people in not rule them out. Hmm. Um, So instead, by removing this idea of alibi, the focus comes all on motive and establishing motive for various characters. And through the investigation that you conduct as Andreas, you're consistently presented with more and more people who had a motive to (laughs) kill the victim. And it really comes down to you deciding, um, not even necessarily deciding who you think has the, the best motive or who you think is most likely, but kind of making decisions based way more on your own personal values and judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, that same article goes on to say, you know, as mentioned earlier, none of the listed suspects are canonized as the definitive murderer, and Pentiment is deliberately designed to incentivize uncertainty. Players might find some suspects highly credible, but be reluctant to convict them. And Josh Sawyer says, it's meant to make the player not look at it from the perspective of, I definitely think this person did it, 
because it's difficult to have that level of confidence. It's more to ask, who do I value? What do I think is important in this set of bad circumstances? And which is the least bad from my perspective? And that's something I definitely felt while playing the game. But then Mm -hmm. to read this, like, actually being articulated by the director, I thought was, I thought was really, really interesting. How did, how did you feel about sort of the central murder mysteries in this game and and how you were asked to investigate those? Yeah. I mean, like it really (laughs) brings to light how um, limited like our own perspectives can be and how so much of where our conviction comes from is based in judgments and circumstances that might be different depending on what our own background is or our own life experiences. Um, I really loved how, um, what's the word, how uncertain it was um, because it's such a long, it covers such a long span of time. Like you can truly see how um, uh, tw- 25 years, how how one decision can have a domino effect and cascade into circumstances that you never would have imagined in the first place. Um, I'm trying not to like say anything like particularly spoilery, (laughs) but like it just, um, that whole idea of like the butterfly effect, um, comes to mind and how, um, one decision can like change the course of history. Um, and it just, this, yeah, like, um, the, the way it was challenging my values was like really exciting um, and something that um, I wasn't expecting from this game and really enjoyed. Well, and even writing in that scope, um, the idea of justice and how justice is doled out in this game or the idea, like you're saying like one decision can change the course of human history, even uh, narrowing, narrowing that down and looking at it more in like a smaller perspective, the idea of how, Uh, executing quote-unquote justice against one individual can Mm. disrupt a community can disrupt like a a, like small social system like nobody that you accuse in pentate like you're not changing the course of european history with any of the decisions that you're making here but because the game takes place over the course of 25 years which i don't think is a spoiler to say because they i mean it's put right in the description of the game um Although I didn't read that description before I played the game. And when we got the first time jump, I was You're like, like what? what the fuck? I was not expecting it at all. So, yeah. uh, and that was a cool experience to have. But yeah, anyway, it's they're they've been very on their face about that being a part of the game is that time moves uh, over the course of 25 years. But yeah, getting to see the impact of that decision and, and because they've removed this idea of there being a definitive, um, and like canon murderer, like you as the player character who is responsible for uh, not for doling out the punishment, but you are key in providing uh, quote unquote evidence mm-hmm. to deciding who is ultimately accused of the murder. Mm-hmm. Um, you have like an outsized influence on that. And so when the time jump does happen and you see the impacts of the decision that you made, you feel it really acutely. Um, and I think, I guess it's also just kind of an example of how it is really harmful to punish people yeah, or like can be super harmful to punish people by the means of like, by the mechanism of the state. And like that can have an outsized impact on 
everyone who that person comes into contact with. And I don't know, we just, we do this on the daily all the time in the United States. I guess it just really had me reflecting on, not that I didn't think the death penalty. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fucked up. And like, how can we have any certainty over these things or why do we think we have the power to uh, act in these ways? I don't know. Right. It's like an eye for an eye, like, like (laughs) you can't solve violence with more violence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tldr (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so the game really had me uh asking a lot of questions of myself and and i think that's what the best uh narrative games that that present choices can do is even though this game is like positioned in this historical setting and you're interacting with these historical characters so much of the time i was thinking about and questioning my own values and morals and sensibilities as a person existing in the year 2023 well 2022 at the time that i played this Mm. and i think that's super powerful stuff um i wanted to talk a bit about the actual historical presentation of the game because the game um we've kind of been saying this already a bit but the game presents history in a way that's incredibly real. I think a mm-hmm. lot of times when we think about history or even when we see history presented in in media, it can feel very uh flat, simple. Mm-hmm. Like we I think we think of the past as like, oh, it was a simpler time. Yeah. There was less that people had to worry about or think about. And this game really says like, no, it wasn't simple. It certainly wasn't easy. Um, And people's lives were just as complex. It was just that those complexities showed up in different ways. Like, no, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet, (laughs) but like that didn't mean that their lives were any less rich or any, any less complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, Rob Zachney has a piece on vice called a medieval murder mystery is painted on history's canvas in Pentiment. And he talks a bit about uh, the presentation of history in Pentiment. And I wanted to share uh, this quote from his, from his article. He says, this is the more mature and interesting version of historical accuracy than we so often get complicating an image. Many of us have of the past, but without resorting to facile winks at modern sensibilities. Pentiment is clearly informed by feminist history and theory, for instance, but that means it takes seriously the obstacles to a single woman inheriting property or taking up a trade in this era. Nonconformity of all sorts exists, but it is perilous, and the game is very clear about why. Likewise, Pentiment does not present a vision of medieval Bavaria as hermetically sealed off from the wider world, but it does not deny the distance and isolation of many of these communities. Early on, we meet an Ethiopian Catholic monk who is treated with warm but slightly uncomfortable curiosity by the townsfolk. But Pentiment does not reduce this topic down to the presence or absence of non-white people in the medieval European countryside. A point that it makes repeatedly is that Europe is not really even a concept that exists Mm. for most of the people you meet, for whom Venice or Tours seem as far away as the moon and Mars. Mm. How people define themselves is a political question, one that takes center stage as the game goes on and draws attention to the ways that concepts of modern nationhood were themselves a fiction drawn over histories of colonialism and cultural destruction. Oh my God, my brain is exploding. Right? (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Okay, I (laughs) I think that that really um, harkens to the the name of the game itself. Mm. Um, I learned that 
pentiment is derived from pentimento, which is an Italian term used in painting, which refers to making changes and alterations to a painting by painting over it. Quite literally, you see that mm. because, um, what's his name? Andreas is a illustrator and he works on um, creating those illustrated manuscripts and painting the images that go along with the scripts. Um, but also literally how like and how Rob was writing, how like even what we understand today of history has been overwritten and rewritten and and covered up to uh represent a certain narrative or perspective. Mm-hmm. Um when the reality, if you peel away those layers, which like you're kind of doing in the game too, in the murder mystery mm-hmm. aspect, is like seeing that, you know people weren't so different back then in terms of like the diverse perspectives and conflicts and the um, social unrest and the, um, you know, subgroups and Mm -hmm. um, like, it was all still there. Um, Mm -hmm. We just sort of get the covered up version in order to facilitate certain ideas and and consolidate power in certain ways. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, and even the the history, like in a more literal sense, the the history of the of tassing within the game, and, and well, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it's all very integral to the overall narrative of the game, and and the uncovering of the history of tassing is like a key narrative thing or narrative point that happens throughout the game you kind of see how like the paganism gave way to roman mythology gave way to christianity and that even that even the abbey is on the verge of kind of losing control of the land if they can't maintain their their relevance and um make enough money to uh yeah be left in control of the land by the lord who's kind of like the next step up above the abbey and he'll take the land back and manage it himself if the abbey mm-hmm. can't can't manage the people and and make enough profit off of the area so even that kind of like folding and then the way you know in within the game you kind of dig through that history and see the way each group of people that kind of came in and took over the space uh rewrote the history mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the area kind of all speaks back to this too so we do this in but both historically in the way we think about history and within the context of the game, you actually watch it happen almost in real time. It's both the history of the place that already exists in the game, which is a historical place, which we've now spun out and done even more since the 16th century. So it's like, mm-hmm. a yeah, this rushing nest, Russian nesting doll or just yeah, onion, yeah. <laughs> onion layers of constantly writing on top of each other so that being the name of the game when you told me that bit about that being repentant came from as the name of the game i was my mind was a little bit blown i was like oh that's so perfect yeah and to take it a step further pentimento is also derived from the italian pentirsi which means to repent or change your mind Um, which i think as you play the game also is relevant (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um i don't think we said a lot about like what the actual store like so you play andreas mailer and this may have come up when i was reading the actual blur but uh the game starts with him as being a young i don't know he's Mm -hmm. like early 20s artist um in training he wants to be like a master artist um but he's doing like a residency basically at kearsaw abbey 
which is the overseer of this town of Tassing and the lands uh, surrounding it. And the Abbey has a scriptorium, yeah. uh, which is essentially the the brothers, the monks at the Abbey will work on manuscripts, like transcribing books and doing art within the books for for work. They Scriptoriums used to make abbeys a lot of money, but at this point in history that the game is set in, um, with printing presses starting to come out, which you mm-hmm. talked a bit about already, um, the scriptorium is starting to fall by the wayside. There's just yeah. a few elderly brothers who are still working their painting, but uh, Andreas is in residency with them. He's getting to work on books and learn from the monks, and that's that's why he's here in this small town of Tassin to begin with. He's staying with a local peasant family, um, and he has friends about the town. So you're you're an outsider to the community, which is part of why you originally get brought in to help uh, solve the murder that occurs, mm. because you're seen as an outsider, but you also have connections to across the different classes that exist, you kind of sit outside of the um, the political and societal drama of the town. And so you're kind of viewed as a, more of an objective observer who can, who can help investigate and help resolve the murder, which is why that's kind of put upon him. Not because you're any sort of investigator. And, and in fact, there is a little bit of like, um, or at least I felt this in the game of like this feeling of like, yeah, who is Andreas even to weigh in on this <laughs> right, or yeah. why should he get any say in it? And it's really yeah. just because the people say that he should. And I think in the the first act of the game, when you are that young man, Andreas's character is very almost bullish about it. Just like, of course, like I should have a say in this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm an intelligent, educated young man. <laughs> I can come in here and I can resolve this. And I think as time passes in the game, like that sours as well. Yeah. And uh, you as the player are filled with regret. I think no matter what decision you make at the end yeah. of the first act, I think you're filled with a bit of a of regret seeing the impact because there's always an impact um, regardless of which choice you make. And I feel like Andreas goes through the same process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, you want to hope that life doesn't beat you down, but uh, <laughs> I, yeah, you do see that kind of shift and, and the, the ways that guilt can eat away at you over time and how hopes can, dreams may not be achieved. Hopes may not be met. And, um, Time is a cruel mistress. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. And I think that's a big uh, a theme of the game is is both kind of like like the, the passing of time and the way that impacts people. But I think kind of this the the role of the individual versus the community and, and how much an individual mm. can actually sway something and like what yeah. kind of impact an individual can have versus uh, the impact of an entire community. There's another quote from that great piece by Rob Zachney. Um, that I wanted to share. He Mm. writes, we meet Andreas in the flush of youthful confidence. We will meet him later in the throes of adult disappointment and regret. Likewise, we will see the cozy small town life of Tassing turn vicious where all the easy intimacy and fellowship of the earlier parts of the game curdle into bitterness and lingering resentment. You might think your task will be to fix some or all of this, but again and again, people will remind you that much in this world is not fixable and it is most people's lot to figure out how they can best endure and reconcile themselves with what is coming. With what is coming. Oof. I found that powerful because I do think there are so many moments in the game where you're having conversations with characters, and as you know, me, Jamie, living in modern times, I really feel for the situation that they're in. Like, there's there's plenty of characters in the game that are. Uh, 
you know, women in really tough positions mm-hmm. because they're not married or their their partner has died and and now they have to figure, you know, because women couldn't just have property themselves at mm-hmm. this time. Um, so they're in a risky situation because their husband has died or um, the women who work at, who are sisters at the Abbey, who uh, their families essentially sold them to the Abbey because there wasn't another path forward for those women. And that was a, a way to keep them alive um, and how they're reconciling with that, not not having the choice, the freedom to live their lives as they see fit. And you can get in these conversations with these characters. And especially in the early chapter of the game where Andreas is so, yeah, he's youthful and he's hopeful and, and you are presented with dialogue options that could be really like, like, why don't you just run away? Or like, right. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to live with this. You can do whatever you want. But it's just not true for the circumstances mm-hmm. that these people are living in. And I think the game only uh, it only gets tougher in the way it presents these situations from there. It, it, we don't want to go into spoilers, but there's things that happen in the second act um, where I was really wrestling with my own personal like convictions of what was, quote unquote, right to do in this situation versus like the real scenario that the people were in. And if I encourage them to act in a certain way, it was going to be to their personal detriment, even if it was the understandably, like, quote unquote, correct thing to do. It was like the understandable response. But if I encourage them in this direction, they are only going to get hurt. Um, Yeah. And I really felt the weight of those dialogue decisions because I didn't, you know, I cared about these people and didn't want to see harm come to them. But it was you were constantly choosing like the lesser of two evils and which way to steer people and how much could I, as this one person, as Andreas, yeah. really influence their situation? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to say anything about, about that? I mean, I feel like you <laughs> encapsulated it very well, but I guess the only thing I would add is that I feel like in our society today, we might play a game like this and think, oh, like you know, or we might maybe before playing a game like this, Mm -hmm. we might say, you know, people back then had it so much harder, which they do, which they did in some ways. Um, or like we might feel like, um, the past was so different and that people were much more restricted and that choice was much more restricted and that options were much more limited, which in a lot of ways they are, they were, but Today, um, you know, I think this idea of there is much in the world that is not fixable, as Rob Zachney was writing, and it's most people's lot to figure out how best they can endure and reconcile themselves with what is coming, that that still very much rings true. And mm-hmm. through the act of playing this game, I think it in a lot of ways maybe connects us through time with people who were struggling with issues that were functionally different. But still at the core, the same. I think we all can relate to struggling against forces that are so much bigger than ourselves and and scary, horrible, awful atrocities happening in the world every day and sort of trying to reconcile ourselves with the powerless we may feel the powerlessness we may feel and understanding how much we can control and how much we cannot and trying to make peace with um, you know, the things we can't change and and fight for the things we can't affect. Like um, that all, it all feels very relatable through time mm. and and not so far away um, than what we might think on the surface. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think there's also a in the way history gets told sometimes it can almost feel like people were content with the way things right. were and that it's through modern sensibilities that we began to understand what was wrong with certain societal structures and it, it, this game I think lays bare the idea that there was not this great sense of contentment. Yeah. It, people were just doing the same thing that we're doing now, which is trying to find the best way through it and figuring out what you can and can't live with. Yes. And where you can or can't uh, affect change. Yeah. Like this idea that, oh, people back then just weren't evolved enough and they thought it was normal for like women to be treated that way or for society be to to be like this like you're saying like i mm-hmm. think they probably were just as outraged as we are today seeing rampant capitalism and state violence and climate change and everything else like they probably were just as fucking pissed off and angry and and yeah <laughs> mhm i guess it <laughs> makes me wonder yeah what do the what will the history books show of this time like hundreds mm-hmm. of years thousands of years from now like which part is going to end up in the books is it going to look like we were content with yeah all the the things that are causing unrest now or will it will it be more nuanced than that mm-hmm. Ooh. well that's another episode <laughs> of pixel therapy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is there more that you want to say? What final thoughts on Pentiment? Should people play it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I think um if you are intimidated by the amount of historical accuracy, which I get, like that's real. Mm. Um but if you have a spare 15 hours, I think this is an unforgettable game. Um mm-hmm. Two, if stuff like scrolling text makes you go like, oh, God, there are some great accessibility settings where you can turn off things like the handwriting and the corrections and Mm. get more readable fonts. Um, So, like, that's all there (laughs) to support you. Um, But I, I didn't know what to think when I saw this game. And I just I'm so glad it exists. So yes, people should play it. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. Um, I was immediately like intrigued when I saw initial showings of this game, but I don't think I knew what to expect, uh, really. And this game was such a, a wonderful surprise. Um, so much of the... It, yeah, it's just... It's one of those games that makes you think so... <laughs> like, I yeah, I was just thinking so much about myself and my own values yeah. and how I approach um, things that are happening right now in today's world. And I just think that's so powerful to be able do, to do that with a story that is <laughs> set in 16th century small town Bavaria. Um, that's really fucking cool. And even just like re- removed from all of that introspection, the actual story that's presented is incredibly engaging the Mm -hmm. characters like we didn't talk a lot about the variety of characters in this world but each again coming back to that level of thoughtfulness and detail that they brought i mean we were saying how much they put into the appearance of the characters the way the dialogue's presented and the same thing goes for the characterization like each of the people in this world that you can interact with is so distinct and specific and they are like 
everyone just feels very human. Mm -hmm. Um, They are imperfect. They are not, we're never like, I don't know. The game is such, it's such a um, objective presentation of the variety of people that would exist. Mm. Yeah. Maybe how I want to say it in that it doesn't really feel like the game is steering you one way or the other. There are things that I hated about the, the figure of the abbot who is taxing the fuck out of the peasants. But, when you talk to him, you understand his perspective and you understand he's doing what he's doing because he wants to keep the monks employed. He wants to keep the Abbey functioning. So any, every character that you encounter has a reason for why they're acting the way that they're acting. And I really genuinely cared about so many of the characters, even when they were in conflict with my own like perspective or values. Like I understood where a lot of the characters were coming from because they're also fully realized. And I had just as like, yeah, an empathetic person. Mm. I, I felt a lot of what they were going through and connected with them around that. And there's such a sense of community that's built through that in the game that I think if there's anything that, I as a modern person could be nostalgic for with this game. It is that feeling of like the town, there is a a very strong sense of community in the town. And there's, there's moments in the game where everyone will gather for festivals or for feasts. And even though there's all this interpersonal and political drama that's happening within the town, everyone still comes together and tries to um, share meals together and take care of each other. And that is something that I think has been a lot like for as hard and as challenging as things may have been in that time period, that is something, you know, and they weren't simple, but there is something nostalgic about that, that I think we don't have in modern society more, at least not with like the people that we actually live in proximity to, like we don't build community in that way in the modern day. Um, at least, at least in my experience, I, I imagine there are pockets of that that exist, but I think it's rarer. No, it's definitely rarer. I mean, I think it's taken me a long time to, as someone who moved um, from a city to a very small rural community, um, things like going to a bar and it being normal for people at other tables to just start talking to you Mm -hmm. um, or going to a town events, like a town tree lighting for the holidays (laughs) where people are just like gathering together um, talking to strangers, like sharing these moments. Like it took me a while to kind of be like, to shift from why are you talking to me to like being sort of like appreciative of the fact that like, I'm sure a lot of the people around me are like super conservative, maybe don't have never met a trans person or a queer person, um, Mm. might have very different ideas, um, and you know, backgrounds than me, which is all great. (laughs) But like, feeling like there's still this overarching sense of community is something that like I didn't realize I was missing until I started experiencing Mm. it and even then it's taken time for me to like accept that and not want to default to this false sense of individualism that Mm. we as Americans are unfortunately afflicted with (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah uh yeah what a what a cool game I I I played Pentiment like yeah, several months ago, and you just played it now, but just talking about it again has just brought me right back to how yeah. awesome of an experience it was. I do hope people check it out, especially if you have Game Pass. I mean, yeah, get that shit. Just try it. Give it a couple hours. 
see if you can get into it. Yeah. Um, I think it's well, I think it's well worth people's mm-hmm. time. All right. Time is up for today's session of pixel therapy, but thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more pixel therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month. Plus get opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important and we appreciate it just as much. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. As folks may be aware, on January 21st, at least 11 individuals were killed and many more were seriously injured in a shooting spree that occurred at a dance studio in Monterey Park, California, just blocks away from a joyous Lunar New Year festival where thousands of people were gathered. Um, So we invite you to donate to this collective fundraiser by Asian Americans Advancing Justice, Stop AAPI Hate, Asian Pacific Community Fund, the Asian American Foundation, AAPI Equity Alliance, Gold House, Stand with Asian Americans, the Chinatown Service Center, and Ann Wong. This fundraiser is put together by 18 Million Rising, an organization that utilizes the power of community to grieve, process, and connect, even if we are physically apart. Um, So you can learn more about the Monterey Park Lunar New Year Victims Fund um, by Googling that um, or also visiting gofund.me slash F804BB72. That's the ugly link version. But if you Google GoFundMe um, Monterey Park Lunar New Year Victims Fund, um, you can find that, um, donate, um, you know, support the... Asian Americans in your community, in your network, um, and fuck gun violence. Yeah, there's been way too much death in the U.S. already this year. Yeah. And it's not even February. It is not. (laughs) So thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today, folks. Go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats. Don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. You know the drill. (laughs) We'll be back soon with some more pixel Pixel therapy. therapy. (laughs) Bye-bye.